everyone. Welcome to this week's Weekly Yap Podcast, episode 39, and coming at you from the middle of Missouri. I am in the middle session of a two-week camp where my kids are actually in camp at Sleepaway Camp here, and for two weeks I am serving as a leadership mentor here at camp, working with high school students and college-aged counselors, and uh, getting to do everything from high ropes courses to water skiing to uh, to theme parks, to low ropes challenges, to teamwork, communication, spirituality. We are getting outside of our comfort zones on a daily basis into our growth zone, into our yes zone, pushing ourselves mentally, pushing ourselves spiritually, and uh, just having a whole lot of fun in the meantime. But before I got to camp last week, I was in St. Louis visiting family and friends, and I got the opportunity to interview a friend of mine that uh, I've wanted to interview since I've started podcasting. His name is Brian Rook, and Brian is a college friend of mine. We go all the way back to college. We've been friends uh, since college, and Brian, to me, is one of the most interesting guys that I know, not just as a friend, but in general. Uh, Brian has a passion for life. He has an ability to go all in in everything that he does. I knew this first when we became friends on the soccer team. He was the goalkeeper, and, uh, and Brian... Uh, was fearless. And he'll tell you he had fear, but he played with a courage and fearlessness that was admire, uh, that was admirable. It was inspiring. And quite frankly, it was, it was a level of um, mental toughness that I quite frankly could not relate to. And as I've sort of gotten into my career path that I've been attracted to mental toughness to performance, Brian is one of those guys that I've always thought of how do I? How do you perform at that level of mental toughness, of that kind of focus, of that kind of fearlessness? And uh, since being a goalkeeper, uh, Brian has gone on to doing ultra marathon running, and uh, has just a uh, an amazing uh, uh, outlook on on what uh, a running mentality is all about. Uh, Brian is incredibly spiritual. He's gotten into the Enneagram uh, work that I've talked a little bit about, and Brian. And I will share a little bit about that on this podcast. But more than anything, uh, Brian is just a fascinating and interesting guy. And I'm just super excited here uh, during this, uh, this, this camp time where I don't have a lot of time to line up guests to be able to pull out one of my favorite guests. And that is my good friend, Brian Rook. So enjoy this podcast. It's a fun one. And hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's weekly Yap podcast, the Yes And podcast. I'm your host, Travis Thomas, and this is episode 39. I think it's episode 39 uh, by the time I uh, release this one here in mid-June. And uh, this is kind of a special podcast for those of you listening. Um, I'll be honest with you, whether you like this podcast or not today, I don't care. Frankly, I don't care whether you like it or not. This is a... uh, this is a selfish podcast because this podcast is all about entertaining me, although I have a, a sneaky suspicion that uh, you all are actually going to enjoy this as well. So I'm sitting beside me here in my sister-in-law's house here in St. Louis is a longtime friend, a special friend, and uh, one of the most uh, interesting men alive. I know Dos Equis has their claim to the most interesting man alive. But I am sitting next to the original most interesting man alive, and his name is Brian Rook. Brian, welcome to the Weekly App. Thanks, Travis. Good. Don't say much more than that, Brian. 
I promise. Okay. Be, brevity is my specialty. So you guys are going to learn a lot about Brian in this, uh, uh, sarcasm being one of them. We're going to learn a lot about Brian here in this podcast. So as we get to know Brian, let's, let's, let's dive in first, Brian, because actually I didn't know this until we had dinner tonight. Um, but uh, tell me, today is day one of a new venture for you. Please explain what that's all about. Yeah, so um, today uh, kicks off my, um, I believe it's my third attempt to um, put together a training program to run, I think it'll pro- I think it's my 25th or 26th uh, marathon. Um, this one is um, particularly special because I'm going to att- I'm attempting to try to qualify for Boston um, a, a third time. And uh, today is uh, day one, run one, uh, square one for, for me uh, and kicking off a new, a new uh, training program and hopefully an attempt to qualify for, for uh, Boston uh, October 7th of this year in uh, Steamtown, Pens- or at Scranton, Pennsylvania, uh, the Steamtown Marathon. And so this is, uh, this is day one of an 18-week training regimen. Now, how is this training different than how you've prepared for training in the past? Um, well, this program that I'm following now is similar to the one um, that, I, that uh, I used last time. I got injured last time um, with my previous attempt to qualify. Um, this one's unique in that um, it, uh, it follows, um, there's a gentleman uh, name, whose name is Matt Fitzgerald. Um, he's authored um, several books on uh, training and performance. And uh, this this uh, program in particular is called the 80-20 rule, and it's a little bit counterintuitive because um, he uh, his method that he follows is that uh, 80% of your runs should be performed at an easy pace, and then 20% of your runs are done um, at uh, diff- difficult um, uh, at a very difficult pace uh, with a lot of effort, and but most importantly, it follows um, your it follows heart rate training and. So so um, you're not really you don't really care so much about distance. You don't care about you're not, you're not really so much focused on your pace. You're more concerned about the time that you spend running and monitoring your heart rate. Okay. And so um, you and I were talking about this a little bit at dinner tonight. And I think w- the main reason I wanted to talk to you outside of you being one of the most interesting people I've ever known is. And part of the reason that you are so interesting is that as long as I've known you, you are someone who pushes yourself to the utmost limits of whatever you are engaged in. You are all in. You're all in in everything that you do. So what is it about about running? And because we're talking about marathon prep here, but you, you've been an ultra marathon runner for a number of years now. Explain to people who aren't familiar with ultra running what that entails. Yeah, so... Um you know, typically, you know, you've got uh, 5Ks, you know, 10Ks, um, half marathons, and then uh, marathons. Um, you know, marathon distance is 26.2 miles. Um, there, uh, an ultra marathon is considered anything uh, that exceeds 26.2. So, this rule, as a general rule, the the categories are broken down into after you um, go past the marathon, there are. Um, there are 50Ks, there are 75-mile runs, there are 100-mile runs, and then there are, um, there are actually, it's the, the, the limits are actually getting stretched even further. There's um, now um, 
you know, multi-day runs. And so, and then there are extreme events that, uh, that go even longer than that. So, um, I've, um, I've competed, I've finished, uh, several 50 Ks. I've done a 50 miler and then I've done a 75 miler and then I dropped, I, I attempted a hundred mile run and then I had to drop at mile, uh, 72, I believe in that, in that, uh, in that effort. But so yeah, a little bit here and there. So all right, so take me into that that seventy that one hundred mile race where you dropped out at seventy two. What was the uh, what was the reason for having to stop? Yeah, so um, that that uh, was due to injury. Um, we uh, that run started out uh, in the afternoon, and it promptly uh, a, we were deluged with. Uh, well, actually, that it started out. It's actually started out snowing. That that event was um, the uh, the Thunder Rock hundred mile run in um, in the Chattahoochee. Um, I'm sorry, the Cherokee National Forest in in Tennessee and North Carolina uh, border there. And uh, it started out right out of the gate. It started snowing and then um, that converted to rain and then it rained like crazy. Um, I'm screwed up with my bag drops. And so I didn't have a change of uh, shoes or socks until I think it was mile 30 maybe 35. And so I'd been running in wet shoes. And so long story short is my, the, my, the bottom of my right foot started to, uh, split open. Um, you just can imagine, uh, you know, when you're a kid in the bathtub, you know, you get prune feet and prune hands. And so, um, after, you know, several hours on running on a trail, it it was, it was not pretty by mile 72, I believe. So, yeah. All right. So I want to get into why, like why, why do you do that? Why do you put your butt out on a path? 26, 26 miles alone is, is nuts to most people. But you're like, forget that. I'm going to do, I'm going to go longer than that. How, what, what motivated you to get to that in the first place? Yeah, so, um, you know, my, you know, Travis, our relationship has been soccer. And I've, I've played, you know, soccer my, my whole life. Um, most of my life and but interestingly enough um you would think playing soccer that you know you're used to doing a lot of running well, I was a goalkeeper I, I didn't I did very little running and so and frankly I hated running I've always I've never enjoyed running until um uh f- I remember the first time I ran 10 miles and 10 miles to me felt like a hundred it was like I cannot believe I just hit double digits and so on some level it just sort of opened up this uh, little window of like possibility. Like, gee, I wonder, I wonder where this can really go. If I can run ten, yeah. could I run thirteen? Yeah, fifteen, and then so yeah. forth, so on. Yeah. And so, how did that then uh, turn into? How did that turn into a passion? How did that turn into something beyond just a curiosity? Well, you know, frankly, um, for me. And I guess this is probably where the conversation starts to go in this other direction. But um, I've always uh, I've always struggled with a sense of kind of really like um, like who am I? Mm-hmm. Like what what's sort of my identity? Um, and I um, I think that I've always I've been sort of in search of understanding like who I am and pushing myself um, beyond uh, what I think a lot of people would consider are their comfort zones have 
has has driven me to begin to understand or explore the possibilities of what what is it who am i what am i really capable of and can i go beyond what i thought my limitations were and so if, if that was sort of your motivation as you started off getting into uh doing the running and the ultra running which you've been doing for how many years now i've been doing about uh geez about seven years now about seven years yeah. so so is it different now is your motivation different now than when you started seven years ago? And if so, how? Um, yeah, I think um, it's interesting because I think the more that I sort of pursue um, what I would probably consider to be a more spiritual path, um, the I find less of a need to seek my identity in the actual, uh, the distances themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I th- so if, for me, the motivation has, a- has absolutely changed because I think that for me, the running now is less about trying to find myself and it's probably more about, uh, it reinforces what I would, what I consider to be my spiritual practice. It's a, it's a reflection of, um, it's a discipline uh, just like you know, prayer or, or meditation is a discipline. Uh, it's something that, um, for me anyway, it reinforces it and supports something that's much bigger than just about accomplishing a distance. Now, at, at dinner tonight, we were talking about you were you were sharing how how training and preparing this time compared to years past is is different from the respect that your motivation is to qualify for the Boston Marathon, yet you don't feel an attachment to that outcome. Tell me more about that. Yeah, so um, you're exactly right. So uh, the, the sort of the trajectory of, of this, this, this pursuit of not only running these fast times, but also accomplishing these distances has been, uh, my identity has been very much wrapped up in, um, or seemingly, you know, uh, I, I seeking to find the identity has been like uh, accomplishing these certain feats. Well, it's been kind of, it's been uh, disappointing at times. Um, and specifically, you know, with, with the last uh, attempt that I tried to qualify for Boston, I was running the fastest I've ever run. Um, I was running more miles than I've ever run. And so um, I got injured about six weeks before the race and it really, kind of it was sort of the first domino and in a series of dominoes that were a, a, a series of some pretty significant disappointment um which had a really i don't know i had a very uh interesting uh, for lack of a better word uh, effect that um i'm not so much wrapped up in what the results are anymore uh, it's more of i've been able to s- I'm, I guess I'm approaching approaching it a little a little bit differently this time. Is I'm just surrendering to the the process. I'm surrendering to um, not attaching to uh, a fixed result or a fixed time. And I'm just uh, what I shared with you earlier is I'm, I'm listening to, uh, more to my inner teacher to um, really kind of guide me. Um, I, I say inner teacher, I don't, you know, some would say God, some would say, you know, wisdom, the divine, uh, grace to just sort of gently guide me into, um, uh, which has not been my approach in the past. It's mm-hmm. been more kind of like, I'm going to just, um, 
force my way into it. I'm going to, you know, ego driven. Um, yeah. And what has, what, what, what has been the, uh, the shift or the inspiration that you feel has sort of caused this, this shift in, in how you approach things? Um, I, I would, I would definitely attribute most of it to my, um, my ability to, uh, open up the, I guess, re-engaging of, of, of this, of, of spirituality and, and, and spiritual, um, um, you know, groundedness, uh, in that is that, you know, there is only so much that I can do. Um, but there is a whole lot more available, um, if I just open up my, open up my heart, open up my mind to the possibilities of, there's a lot more, uh, there's a lot more strength. There's a lot more available than just what I can provide to any, any, any one given session or any one, you know, interaction with in, in a, in a work environment, personal, a professional, uh, kind of situation. And when you say the word, you talked about surrendering, surrendering more to grace, what, describe that more, what that means to you. Well, um, you know, so for instance, uh, you know, I've been, I've done a really good job of historically of not listening, um, <laughs> um, whether that's listening to, uh, my wife, whether it's listening to, um, my own inner teacher, whether that's listening to my body, um, I've done a remarkable job of just ignoring that and then just kind of, you know, human willing my way into it. So for me, surrendering has just been like, you know what, um, I'm going to stop and I'm going to open up to receive something that's not my, that's not me. That's, um, whether that's, you know, backing off of, uh, pushing a, a certain pace that that's really not comfortable or um, it's kind of gotten in it's in this whole other area too of like even um, and if you know me this this is this is really significant for me but I'm, I'm all about um, really trying to you know cram as much as I can whether that's training sessions or that I'm all I'm pretty I can be very selfish with my time I've got to get in these I've got to get in this workout I've got to get in this work and so for me, part of the, pro the the transformation for me is even just like listening, like, you know what, this doesn't fit into my, this, the, this workout doesn't fit into my daily schedule. Um, I need to spend more time with, you know, with my wife. I need to sp spend more time with the kids. And I know that's not like, <laughs> that's kind of hello, you know, of course, but um, that's not always been easy for me to do. So, so take me back now to, to, to running here a little bit. Now, one of the things I love to talk about on the podcast is, is people uh, uh, taking their fear head on, dealing with adversity, dealing with obstacles. So what is it for you? What's the space that you go to uh, uh, on a long run when, when maybe you're physically taxed, you're mentally taxed? Uh, what is, what's that space that you go to that, that kind of gets you over that hump? Yeah, um, I have, um, I have a, I, I don't, yeah, it's a mantra for the most part is, uh, and I've, it started with running, but it's actually bled, uh, into my, my, not only my professional life, but definitely in my personal, um, life as well. And that is, I have, 
it's uh, it deals with and it's and I and I switch it around a little bit, but basically in a nutshell, it's you know relentless forward motion, uh, and I just repeat, you know, I just I am relentlessly going to to move forward. Um, it's not always going to be pretty. Sometimes it's a shuffle. Sometimes I literally will fall, but I just I just really try to um, frame these runs when it gets really difficult is just, you know, relentless forward motion, just keep moving. Um, and, and on some level too, it's also, um, one idea that I've been working with recently is, um, uh, being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Um, I, uh, Pema uh, Chodron is is a, is a Buddhist teacher who um, has really kind of she's done some teachings that that um, she authored a, a book uh, called Getting Unstuck and that was one of the one of the the print one of the things that she shared was is you know be comfortable with the with the idea of being uncomfortable and that's okay you don't have to change anything. You can just be in the be in the run when it's really gnarly and it's really ugly and that's okay. Like there's nothing yeah. to change. Just be be in that space and just keep moving forward. Yeah, one of my favorite books uh, is Chris McDougall's Born to Run. Absolutely. And, uh, again, it's it's a book about an area of my life that I haven't even come close to to uh, exploring with the whole long distance running. But a number of the different runners talk about. Um, uh, on each run, they're looking for the beast, and they re- they refer to that breaking point as sort of the beast. And how, I think the one runner talked about she she likes to see it as a playful pet. Yeah. Because it's only when you find the beast is is the run does does the run actually become interesting? Because you're actually you're you're finding yourself at your limit. What does that look like for you? Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And um, I would never per, you know profess to be a world-class athlete in, in the endurance, but I call it, you know, making friends with the devil in that, you know, um, it is, it is very interesting because you really have to make nice with, with the pain. Like you have to become friends with that. And it's a very interesting, it's a very interesting transformation that occurs because you can spend a lot of time and energy resisting um, resisting the agony, resisting the pain. And then at some point when you kind of can fall into it and, and really you can literally embrace it and say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to observe this pain. I'm not going to be the pain. And I can, you can, you can, I, you can pull up and sit next to it and it makes it easier. And what I've also found too, is, um, the whole idea of impermanence, um, that everything is changing. Um, everything is in a constant state of flux. And, um, if you can just stay with the pain long enough, it does, it does, it's like a tide. It will, it'll, you know, the tide comes up, but the tide also rolls out and that's what happens in, in these really uh, difficult runs too. So like good or bad, this too shall pass. Good or bad, this too shall pass, yeah, right. Yeah. So again, when you and I first met each other, was in college, you were a goalkeeper. Uh, you were probably the most fearless goalkeeper I've ever played with as far as not many guys would lead the save with their face first and then their hands would get involved. That was a joke. But um, <laughs> I, how many how many concussions did I have I witnessed, I think, in person? In person, 
I would say I've been present at probably four concussions, and that's just me. Yeah, present. So, uh, and I know concussions probably had had a big role to play in you kind of having to hang up the boots. Is yeah. that right? Yeah, I've had uh, I think uh, thirteen concussions at last count. And and so, what was the decision? How how difficult was that decision to hang them up? And and then how did that lead into to running? Um, so I I saw. Um, I, I really didn't make the decision to, to quit playing. I think the decision was made for me. Um, I'd seen a, um, a neurologist here um, at Washington University in St. Louis, and he said, well, congratulations, Brian. He said, uh, you're a five percenter. And I was like, I don't know what that means. And he said, um, he, uh, coincidentally, he was uh, the neuro at the time. He was a neurologist for the St. Louis Blues and the and the, and the St. Louis Rams. And he said that um, you're in the five percent of of uh, including all the athletes that I've ever that I've ever met with. That um, I haven't I've rarely dealt with as many uh, athletes that have as many concussions as you do. So um, he said. Uh, I would strongly suggest never playing soccer again. And so um, that's where it kind of segued into me, you know, running. Interesting. And so I know you're going to say that there that really wasn't fearlessness, but I, I would ask, where did your sense of fearlessness as a keeper come from? And I have to say to everyone listening that it, it, it wasn't just on the soccer field. It kind of showed up in every aspect of your life. So where, where did that come from? That, because that's my, that's my early impression of you as a person and as a player was the sense of reckless abandonment. Yeah. So, well, thank you for saying that's very kind of you. And the funny thing is, is that, um, I have always been terrified. Um, I'm, actually not afraid. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not, not afraid. I've always been very afraid. Um, and where for me, I've, I've, um, and maybe this is also where you've seen that it maybe has carried over into other aspects of my life is I have felt a deep sense of obligation, um, that I was definitely afraid, um, going into a lot of physical uh, situations, not only in, on the soccer field, but also off the soccer field. But I know how I can present myself, especially back in the days of just being, um, a Royal Jack wagon, but on the, but, but the, um, but the, but, but frankly, it's the opposite is true is I have a lot, I have a lot of love in my heart and I really did love my teammates and I love the game. And I really felt like a deep sense of obligation. I didn't feel like I had a choice. I really want, I did not want to let my teammates down. I didn't want to let my friends down. Um, so I felt like I had to sort of step up and face these things that were pretty uncomfortable. Yeah. And you did time and time again. And it's funny when I think back on, on my relationship with you, especially during college years is, uh, it was, it was like protection. It was like with, I always <laughs> have to remember waking up Ed Ehrman and Bob for intramural basketball on a Saturday morning, and they left me. Uh, we got back from the intramural game, and they left me the most uh, angry voicemail on my phone. This is we're going back to voicemail days, kids. Uh, angry voicemail about Travis. If you ever wake me up again, I'm gonna you know all this stuff, which was which was pretty funny at the time. We were laughing at it. But you go storming out of the room, you sprint down into their room, kick the door open, 
and just basically threatened both of them if they ever raised their voice to me again. That uh, uh, so I always felt a tremendous sense of safety and loyalty from you. Um, and uh, again, that, that sense of there was always a sense of like fearlessness, like you just don't you don't mess with Brian. Well, it's a paper tiger. <laughs> it was all all bark and uh, no bite. <laughs> uh, not true. Not, not, not true. I saw plenty of bite, um, which is which is funny because when I think about when I think about our dynamic, going back to college and. And obviously, I, I wanted a, another good friend of ours to, to be here for this conversation as well, because I think the three of us, we've stayed friends post-college through a lot of different changes. Um, but when you think back to, to college, you and I are very different in personalities and a lot of different things. What, what, do you, what was it about you that, uh, or what was it about me when you think back to college that, that, that made you and I click or made you and I friends? Um, I don't think it probably is, um, uh, news that for the people that know me is, I, um, I, you know, I kind of marched to the beat of my own drummer and, uh, I don't think that, uh, stability is probably the first, uh, you know, thing that would come to mind when someone describes me. So, um, I, I do, I agree. I think that we have, um, in many respects, we're uh, we're we're, this, we're a lot alike, but in others, we're very different. And so, I have always um, been, I've always appreciated and I've been drawn to um, your 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 stability. Like you're very, you're such a uh, even-handed, um, such a stable guy, and your heart, you've got a heart of gold. And like I. I definitely, um, I'm a <laughs> joke of, uh, earlier tonight. I'm a very good judge of character <laughs> <laughs> and I don't have many friends. I really don't have many friends, but the, but the, 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 the friends that I have can, can be counted easily on, on, on fewer than 10 fingers, but the ones that I, that are, that are friends I'm loyal to, and, and I have a lot of love for. So yeah, that's definitely, uh, comes to mind. Yeah. Well, I, I was grateful because I was always a big wuss. I still am <laughs> a big wuss. I'm still a big wuss in most parts of my life. So I know how to choose. I choose my friends wisely uh, uh, and, and consider that the case for sure. Well, yours was born out of necessity. Mine yeah. was born out of love, and that's okay, too. <laughs> it was love. It was love of my own protection. That's, that's where it came from. Uh, when, you, when you look back to uh, uh, college Brian, um, what would you want to do to grab Brian by the shoulders right now and look him in the eye and you'd say, Brian, listen to me. What would you want to say to him? Um, be easy. Be easy. Yeah. Um, what's, that, what's that mean to you? It, it means that uh, I would, that you can love yourself. Yeah. Uh, that, that, um, that's a, that's, I, I don't think that's unique just to me, but, um, there's been a lot of, um, you know, I, 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 I liken it to, to running, uh, quite frankly, um, you can spend a lot of time and effort resisting, um, resisting the difficulty of the run, resisting, uh, how much it hurts, 
resisting the, you know, just uh, the complexity and the difficulties. Um, that's also true, I think, in our personal lives where, you know, we can, we can spend a lot of time resisting situations, resisting, you know, resisting, um, a whole host of things that come across. And part of that can, you know, take shape or take form of, you know, not really taking care of yourself. So, um, I would, I would just, I would find a way to just really, um, just say, be easy, be easy on yourself, love yourself a little bit more. Uh, you don't have to, you don't have to resist so much. Mm, yeah. And, and that whole idea of resistance and, and, uh, acceptance, you know, you talk about, uh, being on a run and feeling the pain and being, ex- being an acceptance of the pain, but not necessarily needing to, uh, surrender to the pain, surrender from the standpoint of, uh, needing it to go away. Right. You know, when I, when I, you know, when I think about yes and, and I, you know, obviously I've tried to write about it and I've tried to talk about it. There's that sense of, you kind of have to say yes to what's going on. Right. You don't have to like it, but if you say yes to it, yes is that acceptance of being in agreement with what is happening and choosing sort of how you want to respond to it. It can be like, yes, I'm in a lot of pain and I quit, but it can also be, yes, I'm in a lot of pain and I'm going to choose to to deal with the pain. I'm going to choose to sit with the pain. I'm going to choose to um, see how much I can do with this pain instead of instead of only being okay once the pain goes away. Yeah, that remi- it reminds the whole the 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 yes and message uh, really. Uh, so what predates the yes and message was I was a, actually I was a philosophy and education major at at uh, at, at Principia our college and. Um, there was a, a term that was introduced to me by uh, Karen Grayson, and we, we, we spoke a little bit about the, this, the idea of what it means to, it's called, you know, radical acceptance. Um, you know, no matter what it is that you're faced with, having, and the, I'll never forget, she said, you know, imagine if, if you're swimming in the ocean and a, and a shark swims up and literally bites off your arm radical acceptance in that moment right at the, oh there's my arm and it's missing yes and right. and and right. so um that the 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 live yes and message uh is means a lot from that standpoint and it really does it resonates in inside me because that's that's life that is okay all right Yes, and what? Like, what else? I mean, can you sink into this? Can you surrender to the moment? And can you respond? Can you respond accordingly? Yeah. What for you, what, and maybe it's, maybe it's more uh, recent in your life, or maybe, maybe it's not. Maybe it's more in the past. What is one thing that you finally uh, gave radical acceptance to that was kind of a, a life changer or a game changer for you? Um, anything that comes to mind? Yeah, so um, one of the things, um, part of my spiritual growth has um, been very cl- very much closely tied to um, some work that um, I've been doing. Uh, it's called the Enneagram. Um, I've taken you know, a couple of classes, read several books, and part of that is, um, you know, in a nutshell, it ba- Enneagram deals with personality types. My personality type in particular, um, I'm a type four, and um, they're, each one of the types has um, sort of, a, a, you know, something that is 
a, a hallmark to that personality type that says, hey, you know, this is something you have to work through. And for me, uh, mine has been um, to go in through, go, to go into and through um, your past. I, I definitely, you know, for, uh, Lots of people don't struggle with their past as much as I do, but there's a story that we carry along, that we carry with us. And for me, uh, it's just been to, um, it's been, I've very much appreciated how much of the baggage that I've, of my past that I've carried with me to up to a certain point. And then the notion of just allowing that to evaporate because what has occurred historically and whatever it is that we bring in from our past into the present robs us of being in the moment. And so, um, to just, it would just basically be that to just allow, um, to be present, to be here and engaged, to embrace, um, whatever the moment has to offer. Um, and, to not, or as, as best we can, is to not, you know, bring, you know, these skeletons from, from the past into the present and just be here, be now, um, has been tremendous, has been very helpful for me. And I look at it like this, um, life isn't lived, or at least from my perspective, life isn't lived looking in the rearview mirror. Right. Life, life is lived looking through directly ahead in the windshield. And so um, that's, that's been especially helpful for me. Fantastic. And, and full disclosure to anyone listening, um, my wife and I are, are fully into the Enneagram uh, as well. Brian and I have taken similar programs. He's, he's done much more work on the Enneagram than I have. Uh, I'm an Enneagram 7 who's married to a 1. And uh, pretty sure that we have a 7, 4, and 6 children-wise. Uh, we haven't figured out our puppy yet. I think the puppy might be a, a seven as well. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, we're going to need to come up with a puppyogram. Uh, so uh, it is after midnight here in St. Louis. I'm staying at my sister-in-law's house. They have two young boys uh, up in bed, and so uh, uh, with fear of waking up any children, we're going to we're going to wrap things up here uh, quickly. So last question, Brian. Um, what thing? right now in your life do you need to most say yes and to? Um, that's a great question. I need to uh, yes and more of my marriage. All right. Yeah. That's uh, I'm married to an amazing woman. Um, that's been uh that's like running ultra marathon at times. <laughs> in a good way. In a good way. A Listen, good way. and you know, here's the thing. I mean, there's, um, it feels really good uh, crossing the finish line at mile 75. Is it difficult getting there? Yeah, sure it is. But it's incredibly rewarding. And and I, and I say yes and more to my marriage, but it's really about, um, it's really, that's just, I think, uh, a thinly veiled way of saying love. Like, really, um there's a lot of love uh, between my, my wife and our family, and it's really, I mean, that's really where, where, where the rubber meets the road. I mean, love, I mean, it really is, it's just not, it's not demonstrated enough. I mean, really, just love. All right, wonderful, man. 
Well, on that, we'll wrap things up. Um, I know I've had a lot of requests from friends here that uh, they want to hear the, uh, the college Camden Yards baseball story. Uh, but we're going to have to save that for another time. We have to bring Brian back to the podcast because, trust me, you guys need to hear Brian's experience at Camden Yards uh, and the jails of Baltimore as a result. So uh, we'll save that for another day. <laughs> uh, all right, brother. Thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks, Travis. I really appreciate it. You got it, man. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll include some interesting links um, in the podcast if anyone wants to look into the Enneagram, uh, Pima Children book that Brian referenced. And, um, and uh, that's about it. So thanks for tuning in, everyone. That's episode 39 of the Weekly Yap. Have a wonderful, wonderful yes and day. Eh?